You're listening to a podcast from GUT. Welcome to the GUT podcast. I'm Mary McLean, Senior Lecturer and Consultant in Gastroenterology at the University of Aberdeen, Scotland, UK, and current visiting research fellow at the National Cancer Institute in the USA. In my capacity as Education Editor, I'm hosting this podcast today. So this month we're discussing the manuscript entitled Endoscopic Improvement of Mucosal Lesions in Patients with Moderate to Severe Ilocolonic Crohn's Disease Following Treatment with Sertolizumab Pegol. This is presented by Professor Javier Hebertin and collaborators from several academic institutions in Europe, including France, Belgium, Germany and the Netherlands. I'm delighted to be welcomed by two authors today, Professor Herbutin from the Department of Gastroenterology and Nutrition, Arche Hospital and University of Nice, Sophia Antipoli in France, and also the senior author on the manuscript, Professor Jean-Frédéric Colombel, who is current professor at the Mount Sinai Hospital in New York in the USA. Welcome to the podcast today. Well, as an introduction, can you tell us about sertralizumab pegol and give us a brief summary of the existing evidence of its efficacy for the treatment of inflammatory bowel disease? Um, okay, so I will uh, I will take this first question. So this is uh, Jean-Fred Colombel. So um, sertralizumab uh, pegol is a humanized monoclonal antibody with a PEG, a polyethylene glycol uh, linked to a FAB prime fragment that neutralizes uh, TNF. So it's different from the other monoclonal antibodies available in Crohn's disease, uh, infliximab and adalimumab, uh, because they are, um, these uh, two other antibodies have a IgG1 FC fragment, which is absent in uh, sertolizumab pigol. So uh, that means that sertolizumab pegol doesn't exert, uh, exert FC-mediated effects. So it's an original mode of action. Uh, as far as the treatment of Crohn's disease, uh, sertolizumab pegol is uh, administered sub-Q at a dose of 400 milligram, given at, as two injections of 200 milligram each, and the induction regimen is of uh, 400 milligram at weeks 0, 2, and 4, and the maintenance dose is 400 milligram every four weeks. Um, the efficacy of uh, sertolizumab pegol in uh, uh, IBD has been shown uh, only in Crohn's disease, and this is based on the results of what the so-called uh, pivotal trials. So um, the efficacy has, be, has been demonstrated uh, for induction and for maintenance in Crohn's disease, so as far as uh, induction, in 2007, uh, Sanborn and collaborators reported in the New England the results of um, a big study, which is called PRECISE-1. And uh, in these patients, uh, in, in this uh, study, sorry, uh, patients received either a sub-Q injection of uh, sertolizumab at week 0, 2, and 4, and then every four weeks uh, thereafter, or placebo. And the primary endpoints were the induction of clinical response at week six and the induction of clinical response at, box, at both week six and 26 in patients with a baseline uh, CRP of more than 10 milligrams per uh, liter. And both uh, endpoints were met. In 2011, uh, again, Bill Sanborn uh, reported a second induction trial uh, of sertolizumab in anti-TNF naive uh, patients. And in that study, um, the primary endpoint was clinical remission at week six. And uh, this endpoint was actually not met. 
But um, looking uh, forward, uh, the authors were able to show that in a subgroup analysis, limited to patients with a baseline CRP of more than 5 mg per, per liter at entry, the clinical remission rates at week 6 were higher in the uh, sertolizumab group than in the placebo group. So these data uh, actually suggest that sertolizumab works as an induction therapy in patients with objective evidence of uh, inflammation based on CRP marker. Then uh, a third study has been published, which is uh, uh, an open-label trial, which is called the WELCOME trial, again by Bill Sandborn and, and colleagues. And what they did was to look at the efficacy of open-label uh, sertolizumab in patients who have been uh, previously exposed to infliximab and who have failed infliximab. And this is an open-label, and clinical response and remission were observed at week six in uh, respectively 62% and 40% of uh, patients. So this is the data that we have uh, for induction. And as far as maintenance, the pivotal trial is called PRECISE-2. Uh, and in this uh, maintenance uh, trial, all patients with moderate to severe Crohn's disease receive an open-label induction of sertolizumab uh, at week zero to four and patients with a clinical response at week six were stratified according to their baseline CRP level and uh, randomly assigned to receive either sertolizumab 400 milligram or placebo every four weeks through week uh, 24. And the primary endpoint was clinical response at week 26 uh, in patients with a baseline CRP of at least 10 milligram uh, per liter and the primary endpoint was met. So basically, we have uh, several induction studies, and we have big maintenance trials showing the efficacy of uh, sertolizumab in Crohn's disease. Still, uh, sertolizumab has been approved in U.S., but not in uh, Europe. And one uh, weakness of the development program of sertolizumab is that, that uh, we didn't have any good maintenance data at one year because the maintenance data that we have uh, in the trial was at six months. So the concept and importance of assessing mucosal healing as a primary endpoint for drugs targeting IBD is now accepted. And indeed, there was a recent gut review in the November 2012 issue and accompanying podcast on this topic by Simon, Simon Travis and Marcus Neurath. Um, can you just remind us of the concepts associated with mucosal healing in terms of patient outcome? Yeah, I, I, I think the, the point is that uh, nowadays in Crohn's disease we are uh, evolving, meaning that we are different goals and different strategies. Uh, in the past, the primary goal of the treatment of Crohn's disease was uh, concentrated on symptoms, meaning that this was all about clinical remission. And now we are, uh, let's say, much more ambitious because we are targeting not only clinical symptoms, but beyond clinical symptoms, mucosal healing, which is uh, so the healing uh, of uh, endoscopic lesions. So what's the basis for that? The basis is that we believe, even though it has not been well demonstrated in prospective studies, but still there is a strong belief that if we are able to reach not only a clinical remission, but beyond that mucosal healing, this will be associated with a better long-term outcome. 
We have some data, but um, mainly for uh, uh, not from prospective uh, data, but this is mainly postdoc data from clinical trials, showing that if you are able to reach uh, what is called deep remission, meaning clinical remission and mucosalilin, this is uh, associated with better outcomes, such as better quality of life, better work productivity, and uh, which is even more important in Crohn's disease, fewer hospitalizations and fewer Crohn disease-related surgeries. This is why mucosaliling is becoming a more and more important endpoint, both in clinical trials and in clinical practice. So this current study is an open-label single-arm construct with patient recruitment spanning multiple clinical centres and assessment over a 54-week period. So we'll explore the details of study design just shortly, but first tell us how the idea for this study was initiated and how it evolved. Oh yes, you know, this study was sought seven or eight years ago, and at this time very few data were available for, on the effect of anti-TNF-alpha endoscopic lesion. And of course, we we have not data on the efficacy of cetuximab pegol in producing mucosal healing. So it seemed uh, important at this time to assess the effect of cetuximab uh, uh, pegol on endoscopic lesion observed in the patient in order to confirm the efficacy of the treatment. So the the JETED proposed the, the study to uh, to UCB, and uh, at the beginning it was a French study, and after. Um, we uh, also uh, included investigators in Belgium, Germany, uh, in the Netherlands. So how were the patients recruited and what were the inclusion and exclusion criteria? Uh, so we, we enrolled adult patients uh, over uh, 18 years uh, with active Crohn disease with a CDAE between 220 and less than 450. Uh, for Crohn uh, for more than the uh, duration of three months, with significant endoscopic lesion in a minimum of two intestinal segments, and with a Crohn disease endoscopic index of severity, CDIS, over eight points. So this, uh, this criteria, endoscopic criteria, was very important, and we selected only patients with significant, with significant endoscopic lesion. And um, uh, as you can see in the flowchart in the study, 16 of the 29 screen failure occurred because patients had a CDIS less than 8 and or the absence of ulceration in two segments of intestine. Uh, of course, we have a classical uh, exclusion criteria, and we also exclude patients with symptomatic intestinal stricture and fistula, uh, proctocolectomy or total colectomy or bowel resection, within four weeks of initiation of the study uh, uh, and also uh, some medication, uh, medication were excluded. So can you just briefly outline the treatment algorithm that was employed for us, please? So uh, the patient received a, a loading dose of cetuximab pegol of 400 milligram uh, at week zero, two, and four, and then uh, this uh, loading dose was followed by a maintenance therapy with cetuximab pegol uh, 400 milligram every four weeks until week uh, 50, 54. Uh, patient could, could escalate to uh, 400 milligram every two weeks 
uh, after week 10, for lack uh, of loss of efficacy, efficacy towards the uh, judgment of the clinician. And the study visit occurred at two-week interval from baseline, baseline to week uh, 54. So you mentioned earlier you used the CDEIS to score mucosal healing. Can you explain this to us, please? Uh, the CDIS is a, is a validated, in, validated index of, uh, uh, for the, to the assessment of the severity of uh, uh, ileonocolic lesion in, uh, in, in Crohn's disease. Diff uh, of uh, ulceration have, are evaluated in each segment of uh, ileocolon, and the surface of lesion and ulceration are reported on a 10 centimeter analogic scale. Uh, the CDIS is the main score used in control trial to assess uh, the endoscopic severity of lesion in, uh, in Crohn's disease. Uh, so in the, in the study, uh, endoscopic were, were performed at baseline, week zero, and after uh, the loading dose of uh, cetazolimab pegol at week 10, and at the end of the study, uh, at week uh, 54. Uh, the endoscopic of the study uh, completed this, uh, the CDS for each endoscopy, and um, the score, CDS score ranged from 0 to uh, 44, um, with greater score indicating, of course, endoscopic uh, severity. Uh, we defined the endoscopic response as a, a, a decrease of uh, five points, um, and endoscopic remission was defined uh, as a CDIS uh, or less of six. So one of the strengths of the study was a central reading strategy of all recorded study colonoscopies to validate the scoring system. So tell us more about this. Um, investigators were asked to, to record the baseline uh, week 10 on week uh, 54 endoscopies. And uh, four expert readers, blinded to the local reading on, uh, on study time points, scored the recorded endoscopies. Uh, the readers were worked in pair, and each pair was randomly assigned to perform CDI scoring for of all of the recorded endoscopy, belonging to half of the patient population, because we have not uh, all the endoscopy uh, uh, with uh, uh, the video. Uh, for each pair, the average of the two CDIS score was uh, the, assign, the uh, assigned CDIS score. Um, and globally, comparatively to central reading, uh, local reading uh, overestimates uh, the severity of uh, the CDIS score. However, uh, the level of improvement of the score was quite comparable between local uh, and central reading. So what were the primary and secondary outcomes of the study? Uh, the primary eight point was uh, the evolution of CDIS score between baseline on week 10 on win, uh, and week 10 on 54 in the intent to treat population. Uh, secondary uh, end point was the evolution of this score in the subpopulation with uh, both evaluation, uh, week 10 on week 54. Uh, the rates of endoscopic response, endoscopic remission, complete endoscopic remission, and mucosal healing in the ITT population and in the subpopulation with endoscopic assessment. Of course, we also evaluate uh, clinical response and remission and also tolerance to the treatment. 
So moving on to the results now, and considering your primary endpoint, did you find Sertilizumab Pegol achieves mucosal healing in ileocolonic Crohn's disease, and to what degree? Um, in the ITT population, uh, the mean change from baseline to week 10 uh, in the CADI score was a decrease of uh, 5.7, uh, so uh, this was uh, significant. Uh, among patients with endoscopic evaluation uh, at week 10, the mean decrease was 6.5. Uh, 4% and 37% uh, of patients treated with uh, Satozumab Pegol achieve endoscopic response and remission, respectively, at week 10 and uh, week 54. Um, 47% of percent of patients had a reduction in categorical severity of ulcer, uh, for example, from deep to superficial uh, ulceration, or from uh, deep or superficial ulceration to, to absence of ulcer. So the response uh, is yes, definitely, we observed a significant improvement in, in the endoscopical lesion in this study. And how did this correlate to clinical response and also systemic inflammatory activity as measured by the serum CRP? Um, so the correlation between uh, endoscopical remission uh, response or remission on the clinical response was not uh, was not very, was not perfect was not very good, and uh, is what a little bit better for the correlation between. Uh, endoscopical response uh, and uh, with CRP level, but uh, also the correlation was not uh, perfect. So how does this efficacy compare to other anti-TNF biologic agents in common use, such as infliximab and adalimumab? Um, so I will take this question. I think this is a difficult question because it's always uh, tricky to compare uh, different studies because uh, inclusion criteria are not the same. Uh, endpoints are not the same. Um, we we could uh, compare. I mean, so far the only uh, trial that has used uh, endoscopy as a primary endpoint with anti-TNF is the Extend uh, study, and the percentage of uh, mucosal healing, which was defined as absence of mucosal ulceration, was uh, higher because it was uh, approximately uh, thirty percent. Um, the point is that we have to be very careful once again when uh, comparing uh, trials because uh, just a point, for instance, in this uh, music trial, we uh, included patients who had quite severe endoscopic lesions because the inclusion criteria was TDIS uh, more or equal than, uh, to 8. And actually, when you look at the mean CDIS at entry in the music trial, it was more than 14. And we also required two uh, endoscopic segments uh, with evidence of ulceration, which is different from the extent trial. And for instance, in the extent uh, trial, the mean CDIS at entry was 10 and, the, and was thus lower. So once again, I think it's difficult to uh, compare uh, studies. And I think we should insist on the severity of endoscopic lesions of those um, patients. Um, so this is what uh, we could say. Of course, uh, data as far as full mucosal healing are not uh, very strong because only 4% of patients in the music 
study had full mucosal healing, uh, meaning absence of ulceration, but the data as far as endoscopic uh, response and remission were much better. So let's discuss the safety aspects of this drug. Um, 38% of patients had a serious adverse event, either drug-related or serious infection, and 98% of patients are listed as experiencing any adverse event. So tell us more about this, and do you think this is an acceptable rate of risk for our patients? Yeah, the point that we, you have always to be careful when looking at these uh, safety reports in clinical trials. And first, the point that we don't have placebo group to compare. And just to remind you that, uh, for instance, in the randomized controlled trial with uh, sertolizumab, precise 1 and 2, the incidence of adverse event was uh, similar in the uh, sertolizumab group and uh, placebo groups. So, but it's uh, it's fair to say, I think, that when uh, looking at the incidence of serious adverse events and especially serious infections, the rate was uh, relatively high because, for instance, when looking at serious infections, 18% uh, of patients had a serious infection in the music trial. And I think this uh, points again to the severity of patients uh, who were included uh, in the music in the music study. Still, um, it's, it's very well known that uh, we, we need to look at the safety of uh, anti-TNF. We, we have to be careful when using these agents. Uh, it's very clear that uh, they, they can increase the rate of some infections, but uh, I believe that the benefit-risk uh, ratio is still highly favorable in these patients. So how could this study affect our day-to-day practice as gastroenterologists? In your opinion, based on your findings, where do you think sertolizumab pegol fits into the standard protocol for the treatment of Crohn's disease? So basically what we could say is that the study uh, increases uh, current evidence that sertolizumab is uh, effective in, uh, in Crohn's disease. So this is supplementary data coming after the precise one, two, and welcome and welcome study. So I think that in uh, countries where the drug is available, and, and once again, this is not the case in Europe, but this is the case in uh, US, sertolizumab uh, is a reasonable option as a first-line uh, anti-TNF uh, drug. So um, because now it, it, it has uh, been shown also to be able to uh, induce uh, endoscopic improvement, which is a very important uh, endpoint uh, uh, in Crohn's disease. Well, that brings us to the end of today's podcast. I'd just like to thank Professor Javier Herberton and Professor John Frederick Colombell for joining me today. Thank you very much. Podcasts. Go to podcast.bmj.com.